Anyway, I want to introduce today's teacher. Um, so last week we had Adam Cox from Nava Church. How many of you feel like you heard something from Jesus through Adam last week? Isn't that cool? Well, I, we didn't really plan it this way necessarily, but it's working out that we're going to have his father-in-law speak today and tell all the dirty secrets about Adam. Now, it, it, <laughs> Graham Caddo has been part of Nava Church uh, you know it's a good father-in-law when he can be an elder and on staff at your church. How about that, right? And you feel like you're free to lead as yourself, but you trust your father-in-law enough to say, can you come work uh, with me? Um, and Graham, Graham is just a father in the faith. Um, something he, I've, I've known Graham for probably 10 years, maybe more, I don't know. Um, and I only learned this because I, I was staying at his house once. I was up, I'm on the board for Nava Church, and sometimes I'll go up for several days. So I was staying at Graham's house, and I had to use his study uh, to get a sermon ready. It was on a Saturday. And I looked, and, and he, this guy has a doctorate in public policy from Cornell. And he never once has ever said he ever even had an education to me. Um, the guy's no joke. Um, he's from South Africa. Uh, he's been through crazy interesting stuff way back in the day working with Nelson Mandela uh, the, uh, going against apartheid and then the Lord converted him and then he was on a on staff for 30 years at Hatfield Christian Community Church which is a significant church in South Africa while he was there he developed something called the Life Transformation School anybody here been through LTS would you stand if you've been through LTS Okay, so how many of you guys would agree there's something transformative that's gone on through this dude? Yeah, okay, so it, we're, we're in the middle of LTS right now. It's 10 days, you can, you can be seated, uh, 10 days uh, of a program that Graham developed at, at the church in South Africa. He's been doing it for 40 years. <laughs> He's been to, uh, throughout Europe, um, Africa, in the U.S. doing this training. So Graham's just got a really unique perspective through all the different things he's been through. What I love most about Graham is when I see him, I just want him to hug me. Anybody in LTS agree with that? You're like, I just want Graham to hug me. It's like the Father. You experience the Father. So here's what I want. For those of you that don't know Graham, could you trade on trust in the rest of us that this guy can be trusted? You know what I'm saying? I trust this man. I've gotten to minister with him and see him behind closed doors uh, with his family. And now uh, this guy's the real deal. And I take him really seriously when he says things. So, Graham, would you come up here? Let's welcome Graham. And, and here's, I just want to do this, just so you know you're safe here. We're going to say together, when I, I'll just count us off to say, we receive you. Ready? We receive you. We love you, Graham. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much. Thank you, Guile, for that introduction. Really had a sense this morning as we were praying for the, for the meeting of the incredible love the Father has. For Believer's Church. And his heart for you, just in terms of the genuineness of your hearts for him and his purposes and plans. And uh, it's wonderful to be here. Been here many times. It's like home from home. It's good to be here. And be part of the LTS. It's wonderful to be working with Dane and Anna as they take up leadership in the LTS and they have a strong team that's there. Really phenomenal phenomenal group, and uh, it's really great to be here. wonder if we could open our Bibles to the book of Mark in chapter 8. And uh, this message is in part of, as part of a series that Guile has been uh, imparting to you about the importance of truth. So our title this morning is Our Worldview, The Way We Apply 
truth. And uh, it's a series to do with wisdom and how we should be living. And the best place to learn how to live is from Jesus. Is that good? Scripture says, records what Jesus himself said, that he is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. And here in Mark chapter 8, we have a record of Jesus who walked with his disciples over three and a half years. And in that time was teaching him, teaching them how to change the world. And uh, invite you this morning as we are talking about these things to imagine that you are one of the disciples walking with Jesus. That would be a good thing to do, walking with Jesus himself while he was on earth. And Jesus took three and a half years to prepare his team to change the world. The Lord's plan and pattern hasn't changed. He still wants us to continue walking with him and changing the world. And so let's look at the scripture and record, let's see what's recorded here. During those days, verse 1, Mark chapter 8, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. Note the interest of Jesus in the physical needs of people. Jesus is not only concerned about our spiritual lives, he's concerned about all of our lives. And he wants us to be concerned, walking with him, about the full whole lives of those around us. Physical, spiritual, every part of our lives. He goes on to say, if I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. Jesus is very aware of the pressures they're under. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Jesus doesn't answer. He just says, how many loaves do you have? Because you see, you can only give what you've got. You cannot give what you don't have. And if you've walked for any length of time with BC, Believers Church, there's been a lot deposited in you that you have to give. You can only give what you've got. They said they have seven loaves. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And they did so. Jesus worked with the disciples, worked in terms of giving them responsibility to distribute them. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. I think there was an anti-littering campaign that was going on. But actually not. Jesus was busy teaching his disciples, which is why he said that. About 4,000 were present. The book of Matthew says not 4,000 men, not counting women and children. After he had sent them away, he got into a boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus to test him. That's what the Pharisees do. They keep on testing. They try and trap him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. And he sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Which is a surprise. I would have thought Jesus would have wanted to show his power in that setting. But he's determined not to do that. 
I wonder why we're going to get there. He left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They discussed this with one another and said, It's because we don't have any bread. That's why he's talking about yeast. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Excuse me. If our hearts are hardened, we don't see what we need to see. We don't hear what we need to hear. We are interpreting the things around us in a wrong way. Do you have eyes but fail to see? Thank you. Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? Don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. So he said to them, well, don't you understand? So I'm wondering, do you understand? Because if we don't understand, our hearts are hardened. And so when I read this, I realized, whoa, I did all kinds of calculations. 5,000, he fed 5,000, there were 12 baskets left over. He fed 4,007 and did calculations. If you read the book of Matthew, it says, finally, they understood. He was talking about being aware of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And so, this matter of hardened hearts is a very critical matter. But Jesus has said a very important thing to his disciples. If they're going to be world changers, they have to beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So, are you doing that? Are you being aware and being careful around the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees? So what, uh, what is their teaching? Thank you. The view of the Pharisees and Sadducees are different views of reality. Let's just talk about the Sadducees. The Sadducees believed nothing is spiritual. They didn't believe in angels and demons. They didn't believe that we have a spirit. They believed there was no resurrection of the dead. When you died, you died, and that was the end of it. Nothing is spiritual. They believed that we know by reason They didn't believe in revelation. They believed that we know by reason. In fact, one of the things we could have expected they would believe is that when Moses took the Israelites across the Red Sea, it was because the tide went out. That's why they could walk across. Because there was no place for miracles. Pharisees like to talk about theories like to talk about different ways of talking, thing, of talking about things, different philosophies. Paul met with Epicurean and Stoic philosophers in Athens, some high-powered Sadducees. They had an attitude of license, do whatever you want. They were arrogant, self-sufficient And finally, as far as they were concerned, the individual is important. That was the Sadducees. Now, are there any Sadducees around today that think like this? Anybody who says when somebody's cured of cancer, 
Well, that was just natural remission. We don't understand it yet, but one day we will. But one thing we know, it wasn't a miracle. That's the view of the Sadducee. Where in Tulsa would you look for a Sadducee? Where do they hang out a lot? Any ideas? There might be some in the church, but not a lot. We might be affected by some of their teaching if we came through the public school system. But we tend to find Sadducees around college campuses. Not everybody there is a Sadducee, but it's a good place if you like lots of theories. What about the Pharisees? What was their view? What were we supposed to be, be aware of? Be careful of? The Pharisees, for the Pharisees, everything is spiritual. As far as the Pharisees are concerned, the only truth you can trust is that that comes from the Bible by revelation. One of the marks of the Pharisees is they are always looking for a sign. They want to know that God's with them. They want a sign if they can get one every day that God's with them. Very important for them is knowing about the end times and the role of Israel in God's plan. The mark of the Pharisees. They're very concerned about knowing how to do things. They want to be practical. Don't confuse me with the theory. Just tell me what to do. And of course, one of the marks of the Pharisee is legalism. The Israelites lost their connection with God because of the broken covenant. And the Pharisees were determined not to have that happen any further. So they operated a lot in fear. And finally, family is primary. And Jesus said, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, where are you likely to find a Pharisee in Tulsa? Whoa. And in fact, I've been struck by the fact, why did God allow so much to be spoken in the scriptures about the Pharisees? Because there's such a danger that we're going to follow their example. There needed to be a warning. And so Jesus says, this is not the way to think. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 12. Verse 27. And as we're looking at the screen, notice that these are two different sets of worldviews. John 12. Jesus is getting ready in John 12 to go to the cross. And he says, verse 27, Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, Save me from this hour? No. It was for this reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. A voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Who in the crowd said it thundered? The Sadducee. Couldn't be God because they don't believe God exists. Others that were there said it was an angel who spoke. Who thought it was an angel? The Pharisees. But what was really happening? God the Father was speaking. Now here's a really, really serious matter. Your worldview... interprets for you what you are seeing. Your worldview doesn't tell you what's really there. It's just bringing things to you that agree with your worldview. And so if our worldview is wrong and we listen to the evening news, we hear what our worldview wants us to hear, not what's really going on. Whether we're Pharisees or Sadducees, 
We're going to hear what we want to hear that fits our ideology because our hearts are hardened. That's what an ideology does. It hardens our hearts. That's the only way we'll accept the truth. And so, one of the reasons Jesus wouldn't do a miracle for the Pharisees was that's what they were looking for all the time, a sign. Doing another miracle would have confirmed their wrong worldview. So he was determined not to do a miracle for the Pharisees. And what's the point of doing a miracle for the Sadducees? Because they say, uh, it's just a natural phenomenon, we don't understand it, but it's definitely not a miracle. Miracles come to those who are seeking after truth, who recognize, I don't know everything, I'm wanting to learn. But when we settle an ideology and harden our hearts in a certain way, we keep getting the message that just agrees with our ideology. And so if these are the views that the Lord says we should be careful of, what's the truth? What's a true worldview? Some things are spiritual. God is spirit and he has made a physical world and has himself taken a physical body. Some things are spiritual. Jesus is interested in our physical life as well as our spiritual life. There's a difference. We can know by revelation and by reason. There are some things we can only know because they come to us through the scriptures, through revelation. The meaning of life you will never discover by research. It's shown to us. What's right and wrong only comes by revelation. It never comes by reason. The significance of what's going on comes by revelation. But we also learn by reason. This pulpit is hard. If I hit it with my hand, I'm going to injure myself. The Bible didn't tell me that. I've discovered something else. Using the senses God gave me, ice cream is good. The Bible didn't tell me so. And so we need to use revelation and reason appropriately. Good theory results in effective practice. And mercy triumphs over judgment. And finally, the truth is, God's interested in the individual, in the family, not on his own, on her own. Notice that the Pharisees went to an extreme, the Sadducees to an extreme. The reality is, in this world we live in, truth always has two sides. In the book of Matthew, chapter 7, Jesus is speaking the principles of the kingdom. And he says, narrow is the road that leads to life. Listen to those words. Narrow is the road. It's not narrow is the tightrope. It's a road. On the platform here, there's a road there's a left side and a right side, and I walk down this road. I'm not determined to walk down the middle of the road. There's room to move. And if I'm walking by the power of the Spirit, the Spirit and sometimes wants me on this side and sometimes on this side, but there's two sides to every truth. In this slide it talks about the fact that the worldview determines what you see. It doesn't tell you what's there. We've already talked about that. We're talking now about this narrow road. 
The book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 7, verse 16 to 18, basically says, Don't be over-righteous. What? Don't be over-righteous. Who was over-righteous in the Scriptures? The Pharisees. It's good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. It's good to have clarity about the one side of the road and not let go of the other. Some areas of truth would be which is more important, freedom or structure? Those who think it's freedom come to this side. Those who think it's structure come to this side. And fight it out. But the reality is, true freedom requires some structure. And it would be terrible if everything was focused on structure. You need freedom to balance the structure. But what the enemy does is he gets one group on one side of the path, another group on the other side, and they throw stones at one another to say, Our way is better! Our way is better! I think this might apply to American culture today. Which is more important, the free market or regulation? Your answer depends on who you voted for. But the truth of the matter is, the free market requires regulation to operate. And if everything was regulation, there'd be no free market. You have to have them operating together. Which is more important, time or eternity? Please don't answer. It's a trick question. Time is one side of the path. Eternity is the other. You see, what you do in time determines how you will live in eternity. But to hold them both together. Very critical. If we're walking on this pathway, the danger is that we'll walk this way. I'm so determined not to go off the path that I'm taking care of myself. Here's a, a rule you may remember. Do not do unto others what you do not want them to do unto you. Does this sound familiar? Actually comes from Confucius. It's the silver rule. The golden rule says, do unto others what you want them to do unto you. But we can spend so much time not standing on somebody's toes, being careful that we don't get into trouble. That's what we are called to do as the salt and the light of the world. But we are being very self-righteous if we're so concerned that I never do anything wrong. Can I remind us that Jesus has already died for all of our sins, past, present and future. And if our hearts are to bless and be a positive influence and we happen to make a mistake, do you think he'll forgive us? But instead, we're, often we're trapped because we're determined not to do anything wrong. We're so focused on our righteousness. And so what are some of the worldviews that are around today? Oh, I'm behind with this. On the left-hand side are some pharisaical worldviews. They would include animism, Hinduism, Islam, Buddhism, and Christian nationalism are all expressions of pharisaical worldview. 
expressions of the Sadduceical world, you would be secularism, Marxism, Freudianism, pragmatism, Darwinism, humanism. Boy, are there lots of wrong views. It's a complex world our God has made. But he has given us the light we need to walk the path and be a blessing wherever we go. I want to look very briefly at two of these worldviews, starting with Christian nationalism. Walk gently, says the Spirit. And different people have different positions on Christian nationalism. doesn't include every one of these points, but some of them are. The USA is the last great hope for Christianity. The USA is a city on a hill. Anybody see a problem with that? Can I say the church is the last great hope for the USA? And the church is a city on a hill not the USA. While the USA has got many positive things, it's another nation. But we are called to be part of his nation. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, the church is a holy nation. It is the chosen nation, the church. And when we try and put nation on the same level as God, we end up serving the nation and not God. The USA is a Christian nation and must be kept Christian at all costs. Biblical truth must be enshrined in legislation. And fear of losing something is the primary motivation behind Christian nationalism. Because fear is the mark of Pharisees. Jesus has won the victory at the cross. We are victorious in him. And if something gets lost, (laughs) is he able to restore? Or must we depend on government to restore? One of the marks of Pharisees is name calling. They call Jesus Beelzebub browbeating, trying to manipulate somebody to think your way. Trap setting, they try to trap Jesus all the time and twisting the truth. These are pharisaical patterns. And so, before I get into trouble, let's go to the next one. (laughs) Marxism. The plan here as a Sadduceical worldview is to try to develop a perfect future apart from God. Marx's pattern is identify an injustice and then encourage those who are being unjustly treated to get really bitter. Develop antagonism between the groups. Define your view of truth apart from God and then force your view of truth on everybody. I was trapped by the enemy. I was reading Christian literature and a friend of mine who was a Marxist said, what you're reading there about the church, you should read Marx because he's, he's the same. Because Marxism is a Christian heresy. It's a Sadduceical worldview, bent on destruction. We've talked now about a Pharisaical worldview, Christian nationalism, a Sadduceical worldview of Marxism. What about the truth? And here is patriotism and Christians. Their primary allegiance is to Jesus and his church as the holy nation. 
The Christian holy nation, the church, is spread across the world with Jesus as its head. Christians in a nation influence the people of that nation with a demonstration and proclamation of the gospel in all spheres, including government, inviting but not forcing change. Because God is an inviter. He never forces anything. He's given us a free will and invites us to follow after him. Christians are to be salt and light in a nation in all spheres. By serving Jesus' style. Not by dominating. By serving Jesus' style. Like, act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Christian patriots love the country they are in. And recognize the country needs improvement because Jesus is still busy restoring things. And finally... Christian patriots submit to the nation's authorities. If you're uncertain about that, look at 1 Peter chapter 2, 11 to 25. Romans 13. I'm hearing some things out there, some people saying, I'm not a Romans 13 Christian. What? You mean Jesus is Lord of your life except in the way in which you respond to government? And sometimes there's a problem here because people misunderstand the meaning of submit. Submit doesn't mean obey. It means seek to cooperate. And if our attitude is not seeking to cooperate with government, we are actually in rebellion. And right now there are a bunch of Christians around the country sowing rebellion into the society. Because they're not seeking to cooperate. Sometimes in seeking to cooperate, we're obliged to disobey. The problem with that <laughs> is that when we're obliged to disobey, we might lose our job or we might lose our lives. But that doesn't take away the fact that we are required by Jesus to always seek to cooperate. It's a Jesus attitude. <clears throat> I trust that, as I've shared about worldview, we can see how vital it is. We're living in a complex world, and we need to be able to grasp these things. Perhaps the most important thing is this. Narrow is the road. There are two sides to this road. And there's tension between the two sides to the road. That's appropriate. Are you okay? <clears throat> there's time when there must be focused on structure. and time there must be focused on freedom. But we never abandon one side of the pathway. <clears throat> In the Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis says, this is the devil's strategy. Get the Christians together <clears throat> and get them on opposite sides of the same truth. And get them to be angry at one another and fight one another. What a joke. <clears throat> Any truth you can think of, there is an alternative side to it. And there's so many things happening in the country where one group of politicians is taking one side of the pathway and the other group taking the other. And there's no place for compromise, and that's the problem, because politics is the art of compromise. Compromise is not a dirty word. Compromise is a dirty word if you're in the church and we're talking about not doing what God told you to do. The actual meaning of the word compromise is to find a middle ground where you can both agree to do something the way it needs to be done. So I'm not here to tell you who to vote for. After all, I'm from South Africa. <laughs> but I wonder, as we've been talking, if you recognize that there may be some areas in our lives where we need to change our view of truth. 
if we're going to actually reflect what Jesus wants us to do and be the light of the world, we need to walk in line with his truth, his way, and his worldview. Is that fair enough? I think everybody in here has been influenced by Phariseeism and Sadduceeism through our education system, through our activities in church. <laughs> when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, I was convicted about the music I had. So I was on the side of the Sadducees before I got filled with the Spirit. When I got filled with the Spirit, I got convicted, and so I ran all the way over and became a terrible Pharisee. Burned all the records and told everybody I knew what was wrong with them. I'm partially delivered. <laughs> but I wonder if you're recognizing today that something needs to adjust in the way you're viewing the life the Lord's called you to live and make space and understanding of others in the way they think. So I wonder if you could bow your heads and let's just invite the Spirit to come and highlight any particular area that he wants you to consider changing. Invite you, Holy Spirit, to come in your love but also, Lord, with your convicting power, because you love each one so much, you want them to live your way. Thank you that you are going to walk with them on that narrow pathway, on that narrow road, and give them understanding about what's happening. And lead each one of us to know what position we're to take in any particular situation on which side of the pathway or in the center of the pathway we're to walk. Lord, you've called us to be peacemakers, to reveal your wisdom wherever we go. Thank you, Lord, for the fact that you don't leave us alone, but you walk with us, opening our understanding increasingly. And I wonder if I could pray for us together and if you would amen, say amen at the end if you agree. Thank you, Lord, for your call. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then you would hear from heaven and heal their land. We pray, Lord that you would heal this land. Use us as part of your body to be light and salt wherever we go. We don't know what to say in various circumstances, but we open our hearts for your leading because we are wanting truth. We are wanting to be truth seekers. We want to abandon our ideologies. Have supple hearts tender hearts that you would lead us in each and every situation. Thank you, Lord, for your incredible love for everyone in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you, Graham. Something that came to mind was this. Did you know that many Pharisees and Sadducees ended up following Jesus? Look in the text. There are many Pharisees and Sadducees that ended up following Jesus, which is kind of hard to believe, right? Because have you seen Jesus' conversations with these guys?
And I've, I've at times wondered, Jesus, why did you do that? And, and then I started to realize what I'm like. Every once in a while, I need to be poked right in the eye. I need, I need to, you know. And I am so grateful. Hebrews 12 says this. Endure hardship as discipline. Because a father disciplines the son he loves. Do you know that if you don't receive correction from the Lord, if I don't, it's a sign that we're not a son or daughter. And so I remember I used to just really obsess about getting it. What if I get off the path from Jesus? And then Hebrews 12 comforts me so dearly. He'll correct me. So one of the things I want to just invite us into, and maybe something to do with Jesus this week, is one of the things when I know I'm receiving correction, I, I, was, receiving, I was receiving correction today. The Lord is showing me, I have, I have a Pharisee stance on a couple of issues right now. I was like, I don't feel good. I feel like my heart's beating a little faster. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I feel awkward. That is the love of our Father. He wants us to walk in freedom. His kingdom is a beautiful place where things can happen. I would caution any of us, if any of us are going, yeah, they need to hear this. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> if you're feeling like, yeah, all those other people need to hear this. Oh, Lord, have mercy. And you know the fastest way to the joy and freedom of Jesus is to repent. Repent is to recognize, oh man, Lord, I need, I need to rethink. Will you forgive me? His answer is immediately yes. And will you teach me? In fact, I, I want to leave before we do that. In fact, I'm going to do something insane. It's not quite insane. If you feel like and I'm the first one to do this, that the Lord's highlighting something for you to repent Will you stand right now. You don't have to. Not, you're not going to be unspiritual if you don't stand. But I'm standing because the Lord highlighted some stuff in me. Guile. Slow down, brother. Slow down. Pharisee's breathing. Okay. So we're just going to take just a couple more minutes and just simply do this in your own words. First, the first thing I'd say is just ask the Lord for clarity on what to repent about. Here's the way Jesus works. He's specific. If you just have this general sense of guilt, that's not from the Lord. Guilt is not from God in that general sense. The godly sorrow that he brings us is specific and can be addressed by the cross. Isn't that fun? It's like you've got, you know, uh, 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 what's the... A bramble in your shoe. I, I, I don't go outside much, so I don't know what it's called. But, you know, <laughs> you can pick that one bramble out. Okay? So what I invite you to do is, I'm just going to say, Lord, I recognize I'm struggling with this thing here. I repent for, and fill in the blank, in your own thing. Okay? So let's just do that. And just ask Him to forgive us. And I would just pronounce over you, in the name of our Lord Jesus, you are forgiven. You are clean. God is not holding any of this against you. Now let's just take one more minute and then say, Lord, you speak to me what is true. What are you saying about this? What do you want me to
Lord, I just ask you to seal in us the truth you're putting in us. You said, Jesus, that your word is like going to a soil. And there's some soils that can get like really thin because we just didn't go deep in us or can get choked out by the cares of the world. We ask, Lord, that you'd be, make us that patient endurance soil. That you can go down and it'd bear this big crop out of our hearts. Amen. Let's stand together. We wanted to uh, bless Graham. Graham has recent, recently retired from Nava. And from the, he was a leader in the 24-7 communities team. And we just wanted to bless him uh, as he's here. We've benefited so deeply, not just this morning, but guys, if I could just tell you story after story what the Lord is doing through LTS. I'm getting to be part of it. I'm getting to be praying, seeing people encounter the Holy Spirit, see people delivered of things. Guys, this is kick and tail, man. It's so fun. It's so fun. So, Anna, will you tell us how we can uh, bless Graham? Yeah, if you want to um, go to Planning Center platform or give on the online, if you go to bctulsa.com and give, now there's a drop down and it'll say Graham Cato Love Offering. And so you could do that online the next couple of days or on the Planning Center app. And then also by the door on the left are tons of envelopes if you want to give cash or check. And then you can put them in the... Um, mailbox that's brown on the other side of those doors so that can be for a love offering for graham just write that on there let's be generous to him as he's given him and marie his wife have given countless hours to the people around us or maybe even to you and um it it will be really nice to love them in this way guys i'm so proud of us not that you anybody cares that that i just am I just, I just, I can feel the delight of the Lord over us. Just humbling our hearts. God can do a whole lot of stuff through us. When we just say, all right, do what you want in me. Yay, that's the way to end. Have a great week. We love you.